0: Man, what a fun morning. It's such a fun time of year when you get an opportunity to be up here and to celebrate youth camp and to anticipate VBS. Uh, Man, what a joy, what a privilege, and and what an exciting time to be a part of a church family. I know I I really did enjoy uh, being down there at youth camp at Riverbend this past week. It was a great experience, I I had so much gratitude, really, just to see those students. You, you got a glimpse of it this morning, to see them connect with God in very real and intangible ways, to see them connect with one another, and just to kind of be an, an onlooker and an observer. It was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. And, and that's really camp in a, in a lot of respects. I mean, camp is just a really unique environment, and it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's at Riverbend or some other place. Like, there's just there's just something special about the camp experience. As I was talking to one of the adults uh, this past week, uh, he was an older guy that's been a part of these camp experiences for many, many years, and he came up to me and he said, you know, if you're not having a good time at camp, it's just kind of on you, isn't it? And I was like, "Yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, it's hard to have a bad time at camp when you get to have all these great activities and run around and be silly with your friends and still be surrounded by people that care about you and invest in you and you get to hear about an amazing love from an amazing God. I mean, it's, it's hard to have a bad time at camp. Now, that being said, uh, we can all acknowledge that there are still challenges that come with being at camp, correct? Uh, like, for example, sleep. Sleep is a challenge when you're at camp. You find yourself in a cabin with 12 to 14 other uh, people, some of whom you know, some of whom you don't, some of whom are in junior high, and sleep is not exactly going to come easily. Sleep can be a challenge. Heat can be a challenge, especially if your camp is in Texas. Now, we were fortunate this past week. I'd say we had pretty decent weather while we were there, but uh, we know that more often than not, if you're serving or doing a camp in Texas, it's typically going to be with triple digits, and so heat can be a challenge. Another one uh, would be you can get homesick, right? Even though it's awesome, even though it's fun, even though it's this uh, just great week-long experience of all these unique opportunities, there are still moments where you're like, man, I just want to be in my own room. I want to be in my own bed. I just want to sleep in. I don't want to have a schedule, and you can get kind of homesick. So there, there are still challenges that come with camp. And, and when I think through all the different challenges, one that I would put near the top, uh, though I don't know, maybe po- folks would rank this a little bit differently, one other challenge that I would share with you this morning is food, right? Camp food is just different. And you kind of have to have the right mindset if you're gonna go through a week of eating camp food because they got the buffet line and it's this, this tub of powdered eggs that they make, morning after morning, gravy makes an appearance for every breakfast and dinner multiple times throughout the week. You'll go through the line and you'll put these, you know, ground beef on your nachos thinking this looks a lot like the ground beef I had on my breakfast taco this morning. It's just, it's just different when you go and you eat camp food. You kind of have to have the right mindset. You you have to have that adventuresome mindset that says, you know what, I'm going to try it no matter what. And I think it's a good reminder uh, that there really are kind of two different types of people in the world when it comes to food, not just at camp, but in general. There are the adventuresome eaters and there are the safe eaters, correct? Like the adventuresome eaters, they're going to do okay at camp because those are the folks that are going to a new restaurant or going to a restaurant and they're saying, I'm going to try this. Um, Let me see the menu. Let me do something different. They're going to try a lot of different things because food is food and they tend to enjoy all of it. Your safe eaters. Well, they're going to struggle more in the camp environment because they figure out what they like at an early age and then they stick to it. They're the ones that have been eating mac and cheese for like 30 years and they're comfortable with it. They're happy with it, okay? Let, let me do a quick poll this morning. How many of you would consider yourself to be an adventurous eater? Raise your hand. All right, how many of you would say you're more of a safe eater? Raise your hand. It's about half and a half. And I think that's, that's probably accurate. I feel like I've matured out of safety and into adventure a little bit. For example, uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, meals is chicken fajitas. Can I get an amen? Thank you very much, chicken fajitas. But when I was younger, Uh, Every time I got chicken fajitas, the only thing I wanted in that tortilla was chicken and cheese. That was it. And every time that server came and they started talking to me about the side plate with guac and sour cream and pico, and I was like, no. You take all that stuff, you keep that garbage back in the kitchen, you take that little tiny plate and you put as much shredded cheese as you possibly can on that plate and bring it to me. And that's all I ever had. And then somewhere along the way, I don't know exactly when. I know I was an adult, maybe in college. I don't know if I forgot to say that or if the, order, the server forgot to bring it to me that way. But all of a sudden, one day, I, I kind of ventured out a little bit. Put some of those grilled veggies on my fajita. Went ahead and slapped some guac and some sour cream, some picos, some li- and of course cheese. Rolled that thing up, had a bite, and it was like a flavor explosion. And I was like, where have you been all my life? And it totally opened me up. And, and so the real change was that I just said yes instead of no. Right? It was like, do you want all these? Yes. I'll make myself available to try something different. And that's really the spirit of adventure, isn't it? And you can see that across spectrums, not just with how we eat food, right? You can see it with all sorts of different things in life. The adventuresome spirit that approaches hobbies is going to say yes to skydiving, to hang gliding, to cliff jumping, to all these different extreme things. Uh, the adventuresome spirit with, with finances is going to say yes to investments, to gambling, to impulse purchases. The, the adventuresome spirit with relationships is going to say, let me go meet new people. Let me go introduce myself over here. Let me go socialize and all these different experiences. Contrast that to the safe mindset. Right? The safe mindset's gonna, gonna find that comfort zone. That's gonna be more of a no. It's gonna say, no, I don't need to go do all those extreme things. I'm happy to stay at home. I'm happy to read a book. I don't need to travel. Right? I don't need the fancy purchases. I don't need to go to the casino. I don't need to invest anything. I'm gonna save, 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 and do this prudently. I don't need to meet other people. I've got the people in my life that I love and that I like, they're good. I don't need anyone else. I'm gonna play it safe. And the reality is, it doesn't really matter which way you go with that, right? In, in most every arena of life, you want to be adventuresome, go for it. You want to be safe, go for it. You want to try sushi, have, have at it, right? You want to keep to the PB&J, more power to you. It doesn't matter, right? You can, you can be either way. But when it comes to faith, it is impossible to follow Jesus and play it safe, right? With Jesus, It should always be yes. But we're hesitant with that, aren't we? In fact, I would tell you that one of the greatest challenges that we see in American culture, in American Christianity in particular, is a Christianity that wants to play it safe. Because we know that saying yes to God unequivocally, right, without condition, is a risk. A risk that can cost us certain things. And so we're hesitant. We, we kind of want to figure out a way to mold and fashion a Christianity that allows us to maintain comfort, maintain convenience, and all these different things and limit the risk, and we want to play it safe. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is that we need to take that risk. It's impossible to follow Jesus and play it safe. But there's a good element to that, right? Because when you say yes, it puts you on a great adventure. So saddle up your horses. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. (laughs) My 90s Christian music people understood that joke. Everyone else is lost, but that's okay. But my point is the same. When you say yes, it it creates this incredible adventure of understanding what it means to follow Jesus. And, And the only way that it happens is to make yourself available. To say yes rather than no. No matter what. And that's the thrust of today's message. That's the main point of what we're gonna look at today is what does it mean for us to make ourselves available to Christ in all situations, okay? So we're gonna be in Romans 12, all right? If you wanna go ahead and grab your Bibles and start getting ready uh, for that, uh, here's, here's what I wanna tell you as we have this conversation this morning. Now, I don't wanna get your hopes up, okay? But I think this is gonna be a shorter message, okay? By my standards, for what it's worth. Or I still might be a normal average message for other things, but it, it won't be the 45 to 50 minutes. And there, there's a reason for that. Uh, the reason is not just because we had some unique elements to today's service that we wanted to make space for. We wanted you to hear from these students. We wanted to pray over these workers. Uh, but the other reason is because I have preached on Romans 12, one and two, three other times. This will mark my fourth time to preach on these verses uh the first time i believe was back in 2017 we were doing a series of key convictions and we talked about true spiritual worship one of our key convictions here at this church and we used romans 12 1 and 2 to define and explain what real worship looks like Uh, then back in january of 2022 when we started this theme on renewed life and actually started our journey through romans we we began at Romans 12, 1 and 2, rather than in chapter 1. We dedicated two Sundays to these two verses. Uh, One Sunday for verse 1, another Sunday for verse 2. This is where we extracted kind of that formula that summarizes Romans 12, 1 and 2. Devotion, discernment, and delight, if you were with us during that time. My point is this. We have said a lot about these verses already. Uh, And you can go find all of that content on our website, through our sermon archive, if you, if you feel so led to do so. I do not feel led to repeat all those things that we've already discussed. And so that allows me to kind of narrow the focus on today's message. Because there is at least one element to Romans 12, 1 and 2 that even though I've preached on this three, time, three times already, I've held back. And I haven't really uh, emphasized this one component that I wanna to emphasize today. And part of that's because it needed context. We, we needed to walk through the first 11 chapters for us to truly appreciate what it is I want us to see this morning, okay? So let's go back, let's reread it, um, and then I'll have one or two main things to say about it this morning. Romans 12, verses one and two. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 What a beautiful couple of verses. I love it. Now, every time I read Romans 12, 1 and 2, there is a word that leaps off the page to me and grabs my attention more than any other. Uh, And that word is test and approve. And the reason that word grabs my attention is because it draws us back to chapter 1. And it's hard to make that connection. You don't don't initially see it uh, until you've kind of gone through this context. So let me explain to you a little bit of how this connects and and then the the real impact that this word has at this point in Paul's letter. Uh, The the word in the Greek is actually just one word that is being translated with two. The, The two words in the English are test and approve. Right, but there's just one Greek word. It's not like there's a Greek word for test and a Greek word for approve. It's the, the English translation is taking two words to try to convey uh, this one Greek word, dokimazo. Okay? And, and so what you see there is an elaboration on this word, and the word essentially means to examine, uh, to test. And that word is also found in chapter 1, but in a very different way. Um, and with a a different sort of translation, even though it's communicating a very similar idea. And so if you want, I don't have it on the screen, but if you want, you can flip back to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see how it's offered in chapter 1. Chapter 1, if you remember, there's this, this part beginning in verse 18 where Paul begins to go into a very elaborate discussion on godlessness and wickedness of mankind, right? Kind of the human... Condition and all the things that have gone wrong. And in the middle of that, in verse 28, here's what it reads. It says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So when you read verse 128, here's the connection. The phrase that says, They did not think it worthwhile is that same one Greek word dokimaz. So now we need six-ish English words to convey this one idea. They did not think it worthwhile. So what's interesting, and the point I want to make at the beginning before we dive into the depths of it, is that we have this same word that bookends what Paul has done in these first 12 chapters, really 11 chapters, the beginning of chapter 12, and and he's communicating a very different point by using the same word and I want to make sure that we understand the progression of what's happened from chapter 1 to chapter 12 and, and how this word is being used, okay? Because what Paul is doing is he is building upon the context of everything he's laid out. One of the first things we need to keep in mind when you're reading Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is you see that transitional word, therefore. And you always ask the question when you're reading the Scriptures, what is the therefore? Therefore, right? And what you would be tempted to assume is that Paul is now making another point in light of this discussion he's had for chapters 9, 10, and 11. Because 9, 10, and 11 are a very detailed and thorough analysis of Israel's response to the gospel. And so maybe chapter 12 is kind of the continuation of thought from Israel's response to the gospel. But that's too limited. The, the, the therefore of chapter 12 is marking a significant change in the whole letter. Uh, that he is now really drawing back, not just on chapters 9 and 11, but one through 11, that what Paul has been doing for the last 11 chapters is offering a very thorough, comprehensive, meticulous and exhaustive explanation on the mercy of God. And after he has explained it, chapter 12 is going to usher in your response. To the mercy of God. Chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 describe for us the courageous life, how we live courageously in response to the mercy of God. But understand that chapter 12 is drawing back on everything that he has just outlined for the last 11 chapters. And I want to make sure just very quickly that we remember the summary uh, points that Paul has made up to this this point in this letter, right? That, that when he begins this letter, his whole thesis is that a righteousness from God is going to be lived through faith, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17. And what Paul knows is that in order for you to understand what that faith looks like, to live by faith, you are going to have to put your faith and your trust in the mercy of God. It is not going to be in your works. It's not going to be in your lineage, not in your heritage, not in your ritual purity, your racial identity. It is nothing other than the mercy of God. And so to awaken your heart to the mercy of God, he actually starts with the wrath of God, right? The, the wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of mankind. That's what he says in chapter one, right? And the reason the wrath of God is being revealed, the, the, the way that this, this godlessness and wickedness is revealed in the human heart, the human condition, the basic problem of sin is the great exchange. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we worship created things rather than the creator. And he describes the manifestation of that godlessness and wickedness, giving us a list of vices and all these different things. Chapter 2 leads him to then turn to the Jews and say, this is not just a problem for the Gentiles and the pagans and the heathens. You also are without excuse. You do the very same things. You break these laws. You also are in this position so that in chapter 3, he can make that declarative statement, there is no one righteous. Not Jew, not Gentile, no one. And after displaying this desperate situation, he offers a brief word of hope and says, but a righteousness apart from the law to which the law and the prophets testify has been made known, Romans three twenty-one, And he, he begins to hint at it, that this, this righteousness is gonna be through faith in Jesus Christ. So chapter four brings back that point of faith. Right, That it has always been about faith. Abraham was a person of faith. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so when you have that faith, chapter 5 explains you then have peace with God. And the way that this peace has been brought into the world is through one man. Right? That just as Adam brought sin into the world through his one act of disobedience, Jesus has brought peace and righteousness into the world through his one act of righteousness. So then chapter 6 leads us to kind of this summary point where we say, so therefore, we can count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, alive to Christ. This is what baptism ultimately conveys. This is the symbolism behind it, that we are now communicating that we are slaves not to sin, but to righteousness. But chapter 7, Paul gives us a dose of reality and says, you're going to struggle with that, though. right? You're going to struggle with that. You're going to need to live by the Spirit but you're going to find yourself struggling with the flesh. The things that you don't want to do, you're going to find yourself doing. So make every effort to live by the Spirit. Chapter 8 tells you that when you live by the Spirit and He intercedes on your behalf, you begin to discover that God is not against you. He is for you. You are more than a conqueror and you can have have an understanding of that assurance and His, His support of you by seeing that there is an inseparable love that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. And so with that declaration, he turns his attention to Israel and he says, now this was all predetermined. Israel hasn't seen this, hasn't really experienced this, because God in his predetermined purposes knew that he would harden their hearts. And the reason he hardened their hearts was for a purpose. He tells us in chapter 10 that anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which ushers in the questions, well, then what about Israel? Did they not hear? No, of course they heard. Did they not understand? No, of course they had an opportunity to understand. Well then is God not with them anymore? No, God would never turn his back on his people. What's happened is he predetermined to harden their hearts, to give them a spirit of stupor, to blind them, to darken their eyes. Why? So that through their disobedience, through their rebellion, riches could be brought to the rest of the world so that the Gentiles could be ushered into this incredible plan of salvation and of this gospel. And as God brings in the Gentiles, he is going to once again stir the hearts of his people and all Israel will be saved. Which leads to this moment in chapter 11 where he declares God has bound every person over to disobedience so that he could give mercy to them all. This is what Paul has been explaining for 11 chapters. A thorough revelation of the mercy of God. God wants to extend his mercy. He desires you to trust in his mercy. And Paul says, therefore, in view of this, of all that he has done, when you begin to see this mercy man, your life is transformed. Your mind is renewed. You no longer look like the world around you. And one of the ways that he accentuates this change as a response to God's mercy is this Greek word examine or test. Notice how it has changed. Here's what took place. In Romans chapter 1, as he's been explaining godlessness and wickedness, he essentially says that the human heart, because it had chased after lies and chased after created things, ultimately examined God, tested God, and decided he is not worthy. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They put God to the test and said, he's not worth it. I'm going to keep chasing after created things. Is that you? See, I think we can convince ourselves that it's not us. I think when asked that question directly, we can say one thing, but our hearts may betray us. Because we live a very different way. Right, That that a lot of us, when we really look at our lives, we'd have to admit that part of what we're saying, if not comprehensively what we're saying, is that we really don't think it's worthwhile. Yeah, we may come to church, but what we really want is to play it safe, keep it easy, maintain our comfort, let our expression of faith be an opportunity to gather once a week, sing some songs that make us feel good, hear a heartwarming message, and get to lunch. And that's it. And we've ultimately kind of looked in on this and said, you know, it's not really worth my time. So I'll give Sunday occasionally, but everything in between, I'm chasing after the lie. I'm going to run hard after created things. And ultimately what we're saying is that we've examined God, we've looked at God, we've tested God, and we've decided it's not worth our time. He's not worthy. I'm going to go go my own way. And that's where you are in Romans 1. But when you all of a sudden really begin to grasp your desperate state, when you begin to grasp the problem of disobedience, when you begin to grasp the fullness of his love, the fullness of his mercy, and your mind is renewed, and your heart is transformed, and you're changed, you now come back to God, you test it again, and now you approve. Now you see something different. Now what you discover is that God's will, not just for your life and the lives of others, but his will, his plan of salvation is actually good, pleasing, and perfect. And you test it out and you approve it and it changes everything. That's the major change that Paul is now beginning to express. Though first, you thought God was unworthy, but now in view of his mercy, he is absolutely worthy of it all. And that's the key, right? That's the key. The only way you begin to see it that way The only way that we really begin to understand his good, pleasing, and perfect will, the only way that this really happens, this transformation, this renewed mind, it only occurs if you make yourself available. That's the key, right? Romans 12, verse one. This is why Paul is urging with such um, intensity here at this moment. He has gone through this great um, effort to explain the mercy of God. And so he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer yourself. That's the request. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, that word offer means to make available. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because if you were in Romans chapter 1 and you're, you're chasing after the lion created things, ultimately what you're saying is no to God. But when you see his mercy and you truly begin to offer yourself as a living sacrifice and you make yourself available, your answer is now yes. And you open your heart to anything and everything that he asks of you. And I think that's the challenge. Right, again, I think that's the obstacle and the difficulty. Right, the, the, the reason um, we often play it safe with God and avoid the risks and avoid all the, the, the adventure and the challenges that come is because we, we, we want the comfort. We want the luxury. And so what we'll do is we'll curate a life that that convinces others and in many situations, convinces and deceives ourselves that we have offered ourselves to God, when in reality, we haven't. Because what we often do, if you're like me, what what we often do is we will make ourselves available upon conditions. Right? So we don't really offer ourselves to God. We may offer our dreams to God. We may offer our own plans to God. What we're really asking is for God to come join us rather than for us to come join him. So it's yes, God, if, right? And this was a huge part of my testimony, right? This is, this is something God has broken me of and I'll explain more of how he did that next week when we get to these next verses. But when I think about how I fell victim to this, um, I, I began to realize that for years, I had made myself available to God upon condition. And I convinced myself of it because I had wrapped it all up in spiritual language, which allowed me really to kind of try to orchestrate everything that I wanted and how I wanted it to unfold and bring it to God and expecting to bless it, right? So this is what it was for me. It started with the idea of being a missionary. Yes, God, I'll make myself available as long as I get to be a missionary. But I don't wanna just be a missionary. I wanna be a missionary to unreached peoples. But I don't wanna just be a missionary to unreached peoples. I wanna be married when I'm a missionary to unreached peoples. And I also wanna make sure that I've had my seminary degree before I get to be a missionary to unreached peoples. And once I've got my seminary degree and I'm married, I want us to have a family first. And I wanna figure out what organization we need to be with and what team we need to be with. And I wanna make sure that we go when our kids are just the right age. And I don't wanna go for forever. I want to go for maybe a couple years so I can get some experience. Then I want to come back here and do it this way. So yes, God, if all those things will happen. That's not making yourself available. That is not offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And so what God did was he broke me of that and led me to a place of repentance that ultimately had me on my knees and surrender saying my answer is simply yes. Whatever it needs to be. And it's only when we do that that we truly begin to have a full view of the mercy of God. (laughs) And only then will we truly be able to examine and test and see That his will, his grace, his mercy, his salvation is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so where are you this morning? Because this is not a one-time decision. It is an everyday quest. Have you made yourself available to whatever God would ask of you? Would you truly say that you have made your life a living sacrifice? No matter what it costs you, that it could cost you your career, it could cost you your friendships, it could cost you family relationships, it could cost you comfort, convenience, luxury, wealth. Have you truly said, Whatever you want, however you want it in me, Lord, make me your vessel? Make my life. An offering. That's where it changes. And that's what Paul is pleading for. He's urging us, make yourself available to him. Don't play it safe. I was trying to think of some examples for this to to try to bring it to conclusion for us this morning. Christianity Today has this really cool feature, I guess, part of their website where they Give you a bunch of profiles of all these notable figures in christian history and you can just go and read up on them and see a little bit of their upbringing and their stories and uh, i was spending some time on that uh, trying to think of some examples of people who have made themselves available and and demonstrated a life of, of truly being a living sacrifice came across folks like hudson taylor and several other william Carey and some of these people that we tend to go to Um, thought of oswald chambers his story was one that did grab me for at least a little bit if you're not familiar with oswald chambers he wrote my utmost for his highest which really is a collection of sermons and essays and devotional thoughts that he put together his wife actually put it together because uh, chambers died very suddenly and tragically at the age of 43. Uh, but if you've if you've gone through and you've read any of his works you see the heart uh, that Oswald Chambers offers that captures the sentiment of what we're seeing with Romans 12. Uh, there's, there's this one quote in particular that's in that article in Christianity Today, uh, where it says, anyone who studies Chambers' life and reads through these devotions will find someone who lived in view of God's mercy. It takes his, here's his quote. It takes me a long while to realize that God has no respect for anything I bring him. All he wants from me is unconditional surrender. Let me say that again. It takes me a long while to realize that God has no respect for anything I bring him. All he wants from me is unconditional surrender. The chambers, uh, his academic pursuits were interrupted by World War One, and so he volunteered as a chaplain or began to serve as a chaplain in, in the armed services and would minister to soldiers and would minister to students and all these different people. Um, and uh, that article would articulate the legacy of his ministry. Chambers called his listeners to live aggressively for God. I love that. Live aggressively for God. That's another way of saying this is what it looks like to make yourself available. God's will, he said, can be found in any circumstances of life so long as individuals are willing to have a personal relationship with Christ and completely abandon themselves to him. The great word of Jesus to his disciples is abandoned. And that's the same spirit of what we're talking about. Right? That, that's the adventuresome heart that says, I'm gonna make myself available. I'm gonna abandon all my wants, my dreams, my desires, and my answer is yes to you, Lord, no matter what. So I'm inspired by folks like Oswald Chambers, but can I tell you the greater example that I'm mindful of on a morning like this one are the students that I just observed for the last week. Not just our students, but just all those that were gathered. It's really moving to sit in a worship center with hundreds of students and see them encounter this moment where they begin to get a glimpse and a view of the mercy of God for their life. That moment where eyes are closed and hands go into the air, and it leads to a young student walking to the back of a room so that they can be prayed over by an adult, a counselor, or a youth minister. And they're in that moment, in this sacred, divine interaction, doing whatever they can to put into words what the Spirit is doing in their heart to say, I just want to be available to this God, to this King. And that's the moment Where the seeds of courageous life are planted that's the moment where god begins to raise up courageous men and women courageous husbands and wives and fathers and mothers courageous missionaries and ministers and doctors and teachers and whatever it is people that will relentlessly pursue their god and their king above all else what an incredible thing to witness the heart that comes and says, I am yours. It is there in view of God's mercy that we begin to truly see his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is there that we begin to see that he is worthy of every praise we could ever bring. He is worthy of everything that we could ever offer. Would that be your choice today? tomorrow, and every day after. Let us be a church that refuses to play it safe and comes before our God and says, I am yours, for you are worthy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. God, and we confess there are so many things in this life that serve as an obstacle to our devotion to you, to our worship of you. So may we lay those things down this morning and build our life upon you and you alone. Help us to see that you truly are worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Help us to live wholly and fully for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.